The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Western Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandwestern.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where Australia's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Weston. So welcome back to The Creative Relay, Ben. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be back. Good to see you again. At the end of our last little chat, you alluded to the person that you were going to ask in next and you gave us a, a few clues. But now... Would you like to tell us who you've got as your special guest coming in today to talk to us? My special guest all the way from New York City is Mietta McFarlane. Let's get her in. Hello. Hello. So I hope everyone actually heard a door open then and realised Mietta is walking into the room. It's not us connecting with some studio in New York. She is here physically sitting opposite me, live, slightly jet lagged, Mm -hmm. but, but pretty alive, yeah. Welcome, Yetta. <laughs> that was a lovely intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know where to begin, but I oh thought I'd, I'd, I'd confess <laughs> by telling the world that I've known Mietta for probably all her life, because I've certainly known her father for all her life since 1986. So I think she's younger than that. Am I right? Oh, no, you don't have to answer that. But, but. Uh, Yeah, so it's kind of weird, but an honour to be doing this. And I also have so much admiration for what you've done. I remember judging some of your work in Cannes out out of home in 2013. And I think you picked up a silver and a bronze. The silver I loved, it was for Bottom of the Harbour, which was a cider. Was it a cider or a beer or something? That one was a beer. But I was so happy for you because that was pretty early on in your career and there you were winning at Cannes and that took me fucking ages to get there so yeah I've got massive admiration for you and I I thought I'd ask um, about Chris Ford because as I recall obviously you did award school and things but to me things really took off when you got a job at Ogilvy with Chris Ford would that be right? Yeah I mean I I wouldn't say it (laughs) took off that makes it sound very easy no it um yeah I actually I really struggled originally to get a job out of award school and I you know I sort of moved around trying to do some freelance jobs and there were some very kind people in the industry who kind of gave me um gave me some opportunities to do kind of small banners and some print ads. Um, I interviewed, yes, with Chris and at the time, Ozzy, who was one of the CDs. And thankfully, they gave me a job. Um, I wouldn't say my work was particularly special there. But what I did do was I, in my year there, I entered Young Lions and actually won it for Australia. So that then... Hold hold it. Hold it right there. You won (laughs) Young Lions for Australia. What what year was that? (laughs) Oh, God, you're testing me. It has to be 2012. 2012, right. 2012, yeah. Cool. Well done. Thank you. Who who was that with? (laughs) That was with um, Peter Renigris. I thought, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember Peter. In fact, I remember being there. Yeah. How can I forget? (laughs) So that was sort of the 
the piece, well, it wasn't a piece of work in the real world, I suppose, but it, it was definitely helped me along the path to kind of wind up at Droga, which has obviously led me to New York. Um, so that that was really sort of uh, the starting point. I mean, I mean, Ogilvy was a great, I did some piece of work that I was quite proud of, but it was a great place to kind of cut your teeth and learn. and. Because that was quite a tumultuous time at Ogilvy with, with Chris. Yeah, Because yeah. I think um, they really lured him in there and I think he was quite shocked at the reality. So it must have been difficult for you and your first placement in an agency just to see kind of that shitstorm going on around you or were you not aware of it so much? I wasn't really aware of a shitstorm, so oh, to speak. Right. Um, that was just me. That was, that's what Paul was going through. <laughs> I, was, I was sort of, you know, I was, I was pretty young and probably didn't realise what was going on. But I do, now having worked in the States, I feel I can imagine a little bit of maybe how he might have felt coming to Australian market, you know. I mean, the, the budgets are so much bigger in the States. You know, it's just a very different. We're just a smaller market here. It's a lot scrappier, and I imagine... It's scrappier in a great way. It's led to great work here in, here in Australia. But I imagine it, it would have been quite hard for him to come mm-hmm. here and, and sort of... Um, from Acquire what he was choice. used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what you said Oz, Aussie before, is that Andrew Ostrom? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, in Chris and Andrew Ostrom, Aussie, you had two brilliant mentors. Yeah. And I think... I mean, Chris was only there for about six months, wasn't he, as I recall? I think he, I think he made a year, right. but, I mean, unbelievable, that piece of work he did for Coke. For Coke, yeah. exactly. It felt like a renaissance of Ogilvy at that moment. Mm. So, you, so you being there with him was a brilliant start to a career, really, because you, you've just got uh, an agency that's trying to change and, and become great, and often that's harder than being great. So I think to have been there at the beginning would have would have helped. All the junior creatives I worked with at the time have kind of, I think, gone on to do really amazing things. So there was, I, I remember they hired a whole bunch of us um, uh, and, and you know, I won't name anyone in case you're listening, but, you know, you know who you are. Uh, and, you know... I'd, uh, like, I'd like to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you later. Get <laughs> uh, some names <laughs> Always. Uh, but, you know, they've all gone on to do really amazing things. So I think uh, it was a really interesting time to be at that agency and, and definitely a really learning experience. So you went from there to Droga in Sydney, yeah? Yeah. So um, I did sort of Young Lions. That was great fun. Competed overseas. Came back. And then uh, Duncan Marshall reached out, who is – he was one of the founders, basically, of Droga. And he was currently, at the time, running Droga Sydney. And so I uh, went and interviewed with him – gave us a job so then that sort of led to the path I guess of of how I've ended up in New York. Mm, that, yes but Droga 5 in Sydney was also a fairly tumultuous time um, in the time you were there. I mean it started uh, with such promise, um, did some brilliant work but sadly didn't survive so I, I feel like I'm asking you awkward things. <laughs> Sorry but no. But, it's reality. I, I mean, but but I think something that I've learned in my relatively short career is I feel like there's never not a tumultuous time at an agency. It doesn't matter where I've worked, there's point. always... That's a very good point, actually. You know, even Droga New York. That is sort of the natural thing of working at agencies. It's it's You're always a little bit... You never know. You could have a client one day, you could lose it the next. So mm. um, Ogilvy, Droga, um, they've all had their sort of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was very difficult. As you said, sadly, they had to close their doors. And I, f- I found that to be very sad. I really loved working there and all the people I worked with. So it was it was a shame. I wish it was still going. Yeah, yeah I've, I've been l- fortunate enough to work with a number of people who were there at the time. And they're all wonderful people. And again, you, you know who you are. Um, 
I feel like I'm on the radio. It's great. <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> I was looking at your book online. Oh, God. MiatamacFarland.com. Mia no one look. Um, I never get time to fix it. So no, it's never, but, it's but never, <laughs> I mean, ov- obviously, the New York Times work is there because I, I've always thought that was your piece of work you're most famous for. But do you feel, is that the thing you're proudest of or what are you most excited about? I think I'm probably most proud at the moment of pieces of work for different reasons. You know, uh, the New York Times piece of work was something that felt very seemingly impossible, you know, and I really think that's a piece of work that perhaps I could only have done at Droga, you know, Um mm. It was the idea of wrangling 40 news publications together to agree to come together, put aside competitive, you know, political, um, ideological differences and actually come together in, in support of one message kind of definitely felt like I don't know if I could have done that in many other places. So I'm very proud of that piece of work for that reason. But then we did a, a small, very um, scrappy piece of work for Philadelphia cream cheese last year, which was changing the bagel emoji to include cream cheese on it, which um, I'm very proud of for entirely different reasons. And that was because it was something that we uh, took to the client. It was it was literally done in 24 hours. It's the quickest job I've ever done in my life. Most of my jobs take seem to go on for like <laughs> years before they're, before they've wrapped. And, and so, you know, that was all of us jumping in a room. You know, it was a count, it was strategy, it was a, a bunch of us in a room trying to work out how to navigate it, how to get the client on board, how to wrangle the media company. It was really a, a sort of collective of people it took to make that happen. And I think I'm very proud of that for sort of different reasons. I love Bagelgate. Oh, I, I really you. do. I've never been able to do a bit of work that had you could apply gate to. So I think that's, a, that's just a a symbol of success, really. So how did that actually come about? That came about because my creative director at the time, Justin Rubin, and uh, my art director, Luke, and I had been online and we'd seen um, a few articles pop up about the new, uh, the newly released Apple emoji, um, which was a bagel. Um, and people were up in arms because it didn't have cream cheese on it. <laughs> First of all, problems. Um, <laughs> Disgraceful. And- <laughs> People were generally very upset about it. I think, you know, Americans are very proud of their bagel and it should have a good helping of cream cheese. So it was one of those kind of moments where we saw something happening and we sort of latched onto that and we basically ran into a room with our strategist and account service team and just started, you know, banging out tweets and anything that we could do to basically attach the Philadelphia name to this idea. We were sort of became the, the people that were spearheading this campaign to get cream cheese uh, actually on the bagel. And the, the strange thing is, you know, we did our sort of 24-hour hit and then obviously the news cycle continues and nothing happened. And then I'm going to say about seven days later, um, Apple re-released that emoji. And this time they included their schmear of cream cheese on it. And the kind of incredible thing, and I I will admit a little bit of luck, was that all the news publications sort of leapt on what we had put out in the world, you know, the tweets, Mm. the polls, the um, everything that we had done. And we suddenly had this name association. So everyone started going, oh, well, Philadelphia has been campaigning to get cream cheese on the bagel. So it was it was sort of, you know, as as any, you know, anyone in advertising knows, you always need a little bit of luck. But um, we we had basically sort of cemented ourselves in the conversation and. And then we naturally became part of that conversation. Yeah. How much work did you generate in that first like 24 hours? Not, not that much, to be honest. But yes, no, I mean, it was just a, a series of tweets we put out there. We tweeted at Apple. We tweeted 
at the um, the creators of the emojis. I think it's called a consortium. Um, and we tweeted, you know, tweeted a bunch of people. We responded to people who were upset about the bagel emoji. Mm. We basically just, we all sat at computers writing responses and hitting up every angle that we could. Yeah. And it was a real team effort, you know. Yeah, it was really, really fantastic work, I reckon. Yeah. I loved it. It was I good really fun. Did. Yeah, it was great. I think you said before, it's very droga. And it's funny, I always, I always feel envious of a lot of droga work but the thing that always strikes me is how it's always at the right point on the cultural wave it's just of the moment mm. and that's and and the new the, the new york times was of the moment brilliantly because of trump and everything you could just see it was the perfect idea for that time but there was another bit of work in your book which i wasn't really perfectly timed but i was so glad to see it because it was retail for the Toyota Scion. And I thought, good on you, because you never see retail work in anyone's book. Uh, it's The reality is it's a large part of what we do. And you, you've done it very well, so I can see why it's in there. But people still, it's bold to, to put it in there. So I, I wondered whether you did that for your dad, given he, he's, he's had such a great track record of that too. <laughs> No, I mean, I actually was teaching a bit earlier this year and we had some students and we were sort of talking about like what to put in books, you know, to to get work. And I think doing charity work and pro bono work is is something I love to do and I think it's really important and it's a great way to kind of show off your creativity. But I really feel that, you know, doing what we do, the day-to-day work is really hard, you know. It's very hard to sell a good idea through. And I think that that, you know, I've sort of was talking to students about it. I think having an example of something a little bit more every day, you know, and showing that you can still do a great piece of work on that is is really important. And I definitely want to include a range in my book. I never like the idea of just being siloed as, you know, some people, which is perfectly fine, but some people, you know, are the funny people or some people do the emotional work, I, and which is, again, perfectly fine. But for me, I'd love to have a real mix, you know, and kind of show a breadth in what I do. And I really felt compelled to put that piece of work in because I don't I don't think it's my best piece of work. It's a little bit further down the bottom, but, you know, it's still a great, uh, had a lot of fun doing it. And I think it was just a very, hopefully a sort of mm. simple idea. If I was going to describe you in one word, I'd say tenacious. I think tenacity is something that people lack today. Uh, and I think it's essential You've got to be able to come up with great ideas, but that takes hard work and grind and luck. But without tenacity, none of us get anywhere. And to me, you're Miss Tenacity. I think that's very kind of you. <laughs> um, obviously, most people listening I, I already know this. I have a father in the industry. I know that this job is not easy. It takes a lot of work, I think, um, to do it well. My art director, Luke, and I do work really hard. I think it comes from... Um, I feel like I should credit David Droger for this, but I, but it's that sort of idea that you can only sort of outwork people. You know, it's at Droger, we have a pool of people who are so bright, you know, mm. the most intelligent, creative people in the world, I would say, have come to Droger. You know, one of our friends is a Princeton poet, you know. I can't compete on that <laughs> writing level, but I can work hard, you know, and I, I try to sort of, you know... Luke and I are very, very dedicated to work and, and we love it. You know, it's not really work when you really love it. Um, when, when I chat to chat to people at home and even at other agencies in New York, I would say it's just as hard to get work up at Droga. It, it is tough. You know, we, it's, we face the same challenges that any other agency has. Um, you know, so uh, 
it, it's just that I think everyone works really hard there and you feel inspired by everyone else working hard and you want to do the best work possible. So I think that sort of drives you. It, it's funny, isn't it? Because we had Nathan Lennon and Dave Gibson on and they said very similar things about their time at Grover in New York, that they sat there and made that decision. That being surrounded by such amazing people, they were going to have to work hard to even have a chance against them. And it's a, it seems like it's almost a cultural thing that that place instills in people. Well, I think, I mean, David has worked incredibly hard over the years. He's still very much part of the agency. Um, and I think that that culture comes from him but I will also say I find it a very a nurturing environment like everyone is very supportive of each other I definitely so we're all very hard working but I find everyone that I've um, sort of been on with jobs it's a very nurturing you know you hear about agencies where you have to you know they have like five teams on one brief and everyone competing they're, they're good at Droger I mean I think you know you there might be two teams you know but it's never it's uh, I feel like they're pretty respectful of, of everyone's time and, and you work hard because you want to prove yourself on that client so. mm. Right. I like. I, I really like that point. I, th- I think the best, the best agencies that I've been in, or the times when the agencies have been at their best, have had that competition, but supportive competition and people working hard, and, and, and you inspire one another to do better rather than depress one another, which can happen. That's true, and I, I would say everyone who I think has done very well at Droga in the four years that I've been there in New York. I'm really genuinely very happy for their success because I know that they've worked. I know what they've done to get there. <laughs> I've seen them there working the long hours. I, you know, we talk. I know the process they've gone through. So I'm generally ecstatic for anyone who who does well from there. So there's never any kind of jealousy or envy. You don't feel any of that. I mean, of course, you have to be jealous. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm ha- I'm ecstatic for them, but I'm also jealous. But that also drives me to keep wanting to make the best work. Yeah. yeah. When I say I'm like ecstatic, I'm like I'm thrilled because I know they've created great work. <laughs> yeah, but of course. Oh, you, so you have to be a bit jealous, right? Yeah. I think yeah. jealousy is a good thing. Like, you know. Yeah, right. It doesn't you're mean not, you wish ill on someone. You're, you're just not like, resentful. I wish I'd done that piece of work. You're not resentful yeah, of so that yeah. you are okay. you're envious and all those things. So you brought your dad up. The only question I wanted to ask you about that was like you grew up in in a world of advertising. So I mean I can't even imagine what that was like. But I think it would have been fairly entertaining most of the time, just with the sort of people who were around. How is the reality um, sort of compared to that expectation, I guess? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think I, I think I knew what I was getting into. Um, that's for sure. I knew that I was going to be doing long hours and working weekends. I've grown, you know, obviously I, I think I used to spend childhoods in agencies running around, <laughs> probably moving things from people's desks. And Sabotaging ideas. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I had a very fair idea of, I, I knew what I was getting into and I, I originally <laughs> didn't want to do it. I thought I definitely don't want to do that and I wanted to do film or photography. And then I think... You know, as I got older and I realised the type of work environment that I wanted to be in and, and the type of people that I wanted to work with, I guess I think advertising became a lot more appealing. You know, there's some great characters. I like working with the people I get to work with every day, the, the brightest, the most creative, the mm. funniest. You know, it's a. Um, I definitely think we've got some really weird, interesting, strange people, and I kind of like that, you know. I, I, I that, that definitely was a big draw card for me. It's a great, um, it's a great industry to work and in. And you touched on this before, the, the fact that when we were talking about Chris Ford and how it would have been hard for him coming here, working on much, a, a much smaller scale... I was talking to Esther Clarahan about this uh, a few months ago, and she she maintains there is a moment, there's a window for people to come back. And if they're too established 
overseas and they're too used to big budgets and too much of this and too much of that. And then they come back, they are just miserable because you can't do what you can do over there. If they come back before that, they they settle in and they thrive. I'm not going to ask you when you're coming back. If you were to come back, how would you handle that? Or advice to all those Australians in New York thinking of return? I have spoken to Esther about this. I think she's a very clever woman and she makes a very good point. I'm starting to sort of feel that maybe it's two different types of work, you know. Um, At Droga, you know, it is pretty exciting. I can put Ali Wong in a script or, you know, I can put a celebrity in. There's a chance, you know, we did something with... um, I've already forgotten his name, the comedian... Uh, when he does couple karaoke. Oh, James Corden. James Corden. I don't know how I've had him in black. You know, he's, we, he's expensive. Jet lag. Jet lag. Yeah. Jet lag. Yeah. I'm blaming yeah. jet lag. Uh, you know, um, it's quite normal to sort of put a big name celebrity in a script and the potential for it to happen. You know, mm. um, bigger budgets and celebrities and all that sort of thing. So that's a certain type of work. I think I really feel like Australia has always done really, really well on scrappier work. Activations, for example, I feel like Australia kills it in activations. So I, I sort of see this as I'm learning a lot in the American market and that when I eventually come home, you know, I will sort of move into a perhaps a different mm. style of work, you know. Um, the best creative work, as everyone always says, comes from having more restrictions, you know. Mm. When you've got this huge open, mm. you can have any celebrity you want. The budget is endless, you know. It's like, that, I don't know if that makes always the best creative work. So I think I'll embrace it for what That's it is. That's great advice. I also discovered on your website... I'm really regretting having not fixed my website <laughs> this is pretty good this I is, think, I think this this is terrible up. no one go to the website I'm going to have to fix it before this goes to end shut it down yeah. I know this year Mieta was named the top three global finalist for creative of the year and the one club's next creative leader I mean that's pretty fucking amazing yeah it was it was it was a good feeling we didn't win it but it was still yeah, a good but hey top <laughs> yeah. three yeah no it is it was yeah it was great but I mean I think it was pretty surreal because the people that were also in in the sort of running for it, um, another Australian actually, Alex Romans, uh, you know, have done incredible work. So that really was a was a great feeling to to be part of that or to be up there with those kinds of people. Do you feel any pressure with that sort of an accolade? <laughs> well, now yeah. <laughs> Worried you can disappoint people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. You know, I feel that I sort of walk this line. You know, it's like a tightrope of going. I'm great, I can do this. No, I can definitely not do this. I'm a failure, I definitely can't do this. And it's sort of to get to, um, y- you know, to do what we do, you need to have enough, dr- you have to have enough panic and stress to get there, but then you also need to have enough confidence to also get there. It's like a combination between, you know, the the confidence and also, God, I am so bad at my job, you know. So I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm sure other people feel like this. You sort of have to be they able do. to like, yeah, they do. walk the line, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, it's great to have those kind of, um, awards and accolades and then the next day you sort of wake up and go oh god what's the next thing you know what am I going to do to next to kind of show people that I deserved that you know mm. so um, yeah it's, it's, it's a short lived sort of win <laughs> a sensation yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, well done well done um, tell me James Corden what was he like it was actually one of my first kind of big jobs at Droga so I was probably very very nervous but um yeah, I mean, he's he can really turn it on in front of the camera. Was a lot of that scripted or was did he do a lot of it sort of improv? That's actually a really good question because I hadn't done a job like this until I went to Droga and I felt like it was a great learning experience. Basically, what we had done was, as I'm sure everyone does here, you write these scripts of what they might say. But then when you actually get the talent, they don't necessarily want to say all those things. So we had to sort of... Um, I'm trying to remember what we did. We sort of pulled together, I guess... Um, on every topic, we pulled together a bunch of different jokes, sort of like 
punchlines, different jokes. We then had to email it to him. He and his yeah, basically has a team of writers. They filter through it. They add their own jokes. It was sort of like a live right. Google Doc, which was really kind of an amazing experience. Yeah. I mean, you, you're talking to like seriously funny people. And it's, did you get many gags through? We did actually. Yeah. Well done. Well, it was. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just me. I had you know Luke. That's I had correct. my creative directors at the time who were incredible. Um, but yeah, it's a really it's quite a cool experience. And you sort of go back and forth, and they'll say we definitely don't find that funny. And then they'll they'll highlight. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Yeah. This one is not funny. No, but they do. And then yeah. they you know they highlight things that they do like, and it's it's a really cool experience. And then when you actually got on set, um, James had remembered a few of the gags, and then uh, he actually had. Uh, one of his writers had a whiteboard and in the scenes James would improv but then he also had this guy this comedian write out jokes and hold the whiteboard up as sort of a reminder so James would sort of you know he'd, he'd do a couple of takes yeah and he'd just go oh oh yeah you know he just I actually found them really entertaining and it just seems so natural the way it's it's done I mean obviously he's very good at it yeah but you would swear that all those things are just off the top of his head yeah, solo. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. No, um, no, I mean, he's obviously incredible, incredible talent. But um, yeah, it's, it's 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 it is. Yeah, he has a team of writers to help him along that process. Who I guess are experts in his style of humor. You yeah. know, and I thought that was very interesting. You know, it was originally uh, the Google Doc. I guess before he saw it, the gatekeepers, the other his team of writers would say, "Oh, that's not a very James Corden joke," or James would never say that. And I thought that was very interesting that you were a comedian, but you're also an expert in someone's style the of brand, comedy. You know, brand. their brand. You know, exactly off brand. This is on brand. You know, it was it was an interesting process. Yeah, this must have been a fascinating experience for you. Yeah, it was cool. I don't know whether you can answer this, but but just it's, oh it's the as a woman question. Like yeah. in New York, you have got some amazing, very senior women at Droga. How empowered do you feel? I mean, to be honest, since I've started at Droga, there's always been women at the top. I've had amazing sort of people to look up to. I definitely feel empowered. I mean, the, the, the I, f- I have found the company very supportive of me and what I've been doing. And you know, whenever I've been asked to do talks, they're incredibly encouraging. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've I've found them very supportive of women. Um, there's some there's some great female talent at Droga. So um, I'm not sure what everyone else's experiences are, but mine has been has been really wonderful. At I'm just I'm I'm conscious yeah. I'm not a woman asking asking a question about this and feeling that. That I, I should know more, but it feels like the conversation has been for a number of, well, certainly the last couple of years in Australia, very very much focused on the need. And when I first started at DDB, it was one of the things I was focused on was actually correcting the balance. And I'm working with changing the ratio here at B&T and just trying to do things. But what it comes down to is it seems to be building a, an inclusive culture. And without that, nothing happens. You can't hire an inclusive culture. You, you kind of have to build that. And it does seem that Droga does that very well. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to be honest. Before I left Sydney, I'd never worked under a woman before. I'd never had a female uh, ECD or CD. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd had any either. So it was a really incredible experience to go to New York and work under these really talented people. Um, I, don't, I, I don't say that in a way. I think, you know, the men that I have worked on have been incredibly encouraging of my career. But it, it definitely, I don't know, I felt, I do feel like perhaps New York or perhaps Droga was a little bit ahead. Of, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I definitely, I couldn't, I couldn't name a... Maybe I think when I left Sydney about four years ago, I think there might have been like one or two female, mm. sort of very high up um, women high up. Um, 
I'm not sure why that was exactly, but uh, I definitely think it's been a really wonderful experience to work under some of the women I have at, at Droger. And Talking about Droger, it's so interesting, the, the talent that has come out of that place. And, and do you think, is it the place that has made them or does the place just attract oh, them? That's a great question. I think Droger attracts, obviously, people who want to do the best work, bright, clever creative people but I think also there's something about that place which pushes you far beyond what you thought you were capable of so I think it's like a little bit of a combination of both you know Mm. Um, I would say that in some ways you know we really lucked into Mm. getting in there because we obviously the agency had shut down here and David had said that he would take a couple of people over and we put up our hands and honestly I don't know if we would have got the job there had we not had that sort of way in you know we had this sort of incredible door open and it was a real seize the moment um, to sort of get in. It. It, was, it was really our foot in the door. And I, was there, was ever, there a ever a moment where you thought, oh, no, I don't want to go just yet? No, never. No, never. No, no, no. Never. No, no, I always wanted to That go. is a really good question, though. To me, it's, it's probably like the Australian Institute of Sport that you get great people going there and people get there and get better. Get better. Or maybe like the palace used to yeah, be. Palace, I mean, honestly, yeah. I think that sort of had a lot to do with us wanting to work hard as well and wanting to prove ourselves as two Australians that had turned up from the Sydney office. You know, we really, we you know, really wanted to kind of um, show that we could do good work and no matter what we were sort of put on. Um, and I, th- I think in a good way. <laughs> A very wise man once said to me that if you're not in charge of a creative department by a certain age, it's all over for you. So if you're not at that point at this age, you should actually go out and open your own shop. What was the age? <laughs> well, well no, you got a few years. you got a few yeah, years. Yeah. The age was in your 40s, so you're obviously a long way away from that. But Ben Ben sort of um, brought it back to your 30s. He thinks I did. you have to be in the oh, 30s. So I guess the question really is, what's your ambition? Where do you see this taking? You know, I think for me at the moment, it's like I feel like I have another couple of years of just making really great work and just focusing in on the work. Um, But I would love to kind of definitely move into a a more managerial position eventually and hopefully kind of pass on everything that I've learned to try and shape a department. Can you ever see a day where you'd have your own agency? Would you like to do that or do you like working within an existing organisation? I'd love to have my own thing one day or some kind of business, something where you sort of run it you know uh get to choose your own hours yeah i think i think it's a natural thing to want to sort of take the next step you know i mean there's nothing wrong with wanting to just be a creative forever but i think you're always looking for the next thing you know and i i definitely think i get um bored if i sort of stay in the same thing for a long time so i definitely would be looking for the next step so if you were starting mcfarlane (laughs) no you can't use that name no No. (laughs) not in this country certainly wouldn't use that name um no mietta's after your namesake, isn't it? The, the restaurant in Melbourne. But See, I think that you should never call an agency after your own name. <laughs> well, no. Be- because if it's yeah, successful, when you leave, everyone yeah, wants you, yeah. you know. Okay, Polkadot. We'll call it Polkadot. <laughs> Tell me about your agency, Polkadot. One of the things I've thought is maybe it's not necessarily an agency, but maybe starting a business of some kind, you know, and I'm sure you guys have um, uh, the same... As a creative, like, 99% of your ideas die. Mm-hmm. And so you have this, like, drawer full of... or Not really drawful anymore, is it? It's more like endless Google Docs of ideas that um, never saw the light of day. And you go, God, that was a really good idea. And that could be used for something else. So I definitely think 
that I will do my own thing in the end. So whether that's an agency or maybe doing an I some kind of thing that I have sort of previously thought of that I still really like and would like to pursue on my own. I, think I, I agree. There's stuff. such a, a a total waste of really really mm. wonderful ideas. Yeah. And because the market's hungry for ideas, we just produce so much stuff. Yeah. Now. We are wasted, particularly when you're showing a client multiple ideas, yeah. because yeah. it's as if it's taken out of the bag, it dies, mm-hmm. or it, like if one of them lives, the other two are slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. And never to be seen again, again, even though yeah, they yeah. may well be even, a very even good solution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although I feel like I've definitely mastered the art of bringing back dead ideas. Oh, really? Oh, really? oh yeah. That's, That's like skill. most of our ideas. Shouldn't say this makes us sound not very <laughs> no. good. Uh, you know, we, we, we definitely we annoy the hell out of people with our old ideas. Well, they're, they, they, they're, they're never they're, quite dead. There's like ideas that resurface they're, they're four just, years later. They're, they're just in ICU. <laughs> yeah. I, I a board called Lazarus yeah. at the agency where yeah. everyone could put, bring, bring ideas back from that. the dead. What's a brand that you'd really love to work on, Mieta? One that you, perhaps you haven't worked on yet and you just go, oh, do you know what? I reckon I'd kill I that. I mean, I think Lurpak would be a great client to work on. Oh, really? I love the Lurpak English work. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And maybe because I don't really, I don't think I have anything in that style in my book. I, yeah, I just think it'd be great fun. I, um, I love you know, I love those TV spots. I look at a lot of, like, women's brands, you know, whether it's makeup or, you know, Billy Razors, um, and I think no one's really done... No one's ever done really funny work for a female brand. Oh, maybe it's because women aren't funny. <laughs> oh, no, but don't you say that. No, who said that? Someone said it recently. Yeah, Someone, yeah, no, this, this, I think you can look around at all the female comedians out there well, and know the, that that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I, so I think the great thing about women comedians is they can go places men can't. By example, I offered Dear Joan and Jerrica a hilariously wrong podcast that I can't, I can't actually repeat any of because it's so wrong (laughs) (coughs) and I'm a guy but everyone listened to it because it it, it's an example of where you can boldly go that no man has been before because it's it's just so women did you just just think of that yeah that was good that was good (laughs) (laughs) I've had to do uh well I was asked to do and I thoroughly enjoyed doing it giving some advice to emerging creative directors through the comms council and i'd love to know i mean if you're at that you're at that point where you're you're feeling you want to do that it must mean you've got a pretty good idea of what doing that well looks like so what to you does a great creative director do and how does it differ from being a great creative i mean obviously there's several things i think the best people i've worked under are always very conscious of of ownership the best creative directors that i've worked under or who are at more senior levels above me they help you along the process but they give you the freedom to to do it on your own and i think you have to have a certain degree of like or being comfortable with handing over, not handing over your ideas, but handing over your work. You have to be very giving with your creativity, you know, like you you suggest things or you steer people in a certain direction, but then you have to also be comfortable that you've led them there and that that is sort of their idea. You know, I think you have to, uh, in, in, a, in a different way to be. I think when you're a creative, you know, you go, this is my idea, I own this. When you're a creative director, you have to help people get to that point. 
and give them the freedom to execute it and be comfortable with handing over. But are you saying then that perhaps guiding people, giving people suggestions and things like that, but then being perfectly happy if they ignore those suggestions? I meant more giving them ownership. Once they have it, you know, letting them take it on their own path and doing it the way that they want to do, I suppose. Um, So choosing directors and things. Yeah, just a bit more freedom. I feel like the best people I've worked under might have helped steer us to that place but then have been have really kind of given us the freedom to write in the way that we want or to, you know, they'll always be overseeing, but they don't, you know, they're not the people that take it back from you and rewrite it their own way. They've, they've, they've help, they help you get to that place. They're a supporting yeah. person as opposed to, um, which I'm sure is tempting when you're in that position to just want to take the whole thing back and just do it your own way. But that being able to guide people to put their own mark on it. Uh, Droga 5, it is famous for its work, and I think its creatives are very famous. I'm sure there are lots of planners, producers, and account service people who should be famous too. To me, the role, what used to be pretty much a shop floor situation where you had the creative team that would do the work and it wasn't very collaborative at all, it's changed a lot. And now, whilst an idea can come from anywhere, it probably will come from the credit department, It feels like there's so much more collaboration. And I think that takes faith in one another. So I'd love to hear more about the beyond the creative. You you said before when the bagel thing, you were working as a group of people. I think what sets it apart in some ways is that I really feel like everyone cares. And I would say that account service, strategy, everyone on every level... Everyone who touches a project, I, I generally feel they care, you know. And care I care about the creative output. They care about the creative output. And I will always defer to strategists and account service and, you know, they're there to protect the idea and help you sell it in more so than anywhere else I've worked. And I think that the creative at Droger is amazing, but it's the people in the other departments that help carry it there, you know, and get it across the line. And I have, uh, honestly, the utmost respect for some of the people that I work with in different departments, and I think they add so much value to the ideas that we've come up with. You know, we might have birthed the idea, but they've developed it and mm. and made it so much better, you know. And they're all experts in what they do, and it's very common for me to talk to people pretty early in the process. You know, this. I remember when I first started advertising, there was sort of this idea that you would come up with a creative idea and you would keep it to yourself Completely. and then you'd only show yeah. account service the day before the client yeah. presentation. <laughs> and that's, I Honestly, I think that's a bit of a disaster waiting to happen. Mm. I mean you know when people care about it and they want to protect it and make it the best it can be we you know I, we talk to strategists and account service people really really early and production production mm. we speak to really early on to to bring them into the process and make everyone feel like it's part of you know it's something that they can have ownership on and i think that makes for better work you know everyone is so familiar by the time it gets to the client everyone's had their two cents and we've worked we've resolved half the issues that probably would have come up later but i, but on. I think what allows that to happen is when you know that everybody is focused on the creative output as opposed to any other distractions. The confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence in your peers, yeah. Yeah. Because I think you'll find in most agencies everybody cares, but people care about different things. And maybe that's where... You know, your experience has been quite exceptional in that Droga that everyone's actually focused on that end result. I think you make a really good point. I think it's it's people who care about making the best creative work. Um, and when I say that, I'm, I make it sound like this sort of holding hands, happy, clappy process. It's not. Like, we often disagree on things or, you know, um, we don't always see eye to eye, but I do think it makes for better creative work. This whole sort of, like I said, idea of keeping things to your chest and only revealing the day before, like, there's some sort of enemy there is, 
I don't know. I just don't. I don't feel like it's the right. I can option. remember doing that though. I, I, I think it's insecurity as much as anything else. Yeah. I think people are just worried. No, no, it'll die. It'll die if I go in there and they do because you're trying to keep something alive rather than trying to make it get better. Yeah. And I think it's it was so much changes if the attitude that people walking into that room to look at a review of work is on the subject of client relations. So we talked about in inside the agency relationships. In America, you often have clients in completely different cities, don't you? So you've got, yeah. I think you've got some in Philadelphia or? All over. So like yeah. Philadelphia cream cheese, for example, is um, is in Chicago. You know, people at the agency are always traveling. This, uh, I think Chase Bank is in Delaware. Yeah. So uh, how does that impact relationships? Because it does feel like mm. we've moved into a stage where collaborations, clients want to be involved right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they want to see really stuff. And, and you kind of, you want them to, if they're going to be partners, they need to be genuine partners. But it does still feel like it's slightly adversarial, presenting stuff and they're going, oh, yeah, blah, 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 rather than this work exists because of them, not just for them. So if you are not seeing someone, if they're not around the corner, is that, does that make it harder or does it make it better having... No, I, I do think it makes it harder. And I, mm. I don't know how other people feel, but I really I really don't love presenting over the phone, mm. um, even on kind of a Google kind of no conference way. call. I just... They, I honestly feel like my presentations go so much better when you're face-to-face and people can see the emotion and how you feel and the passion. Yeah, I don't love having connection over a phone conference. I, f- I feel like it, it really kind of... I'm not going to say hinders the work, but I think it is a slower process to get to where you need to be. Well, it's hard to understand their their sort of visceral reaction to the. I, I can remember pitch, presenting something in three different places at once and doing a particularly bad job of it. I blame <laughs> in all three at the same time, even though I was only in one of them. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's bloody hard. It's hard, but, I, yeah. Oh, but sorry, does that I'm make sure. it more of a show in America if you're not seeing, if you're not just, you're not getting a room and you're just... I, I do feel like we try to be there for bigger presentations. Mm. So, you know, you, it's not uncommon to fly, I think whatever the industry actually, all my friends in New York, you'll even, people fly to San Francisco for a day, you know, we'll fly to Chicago just for the day, you know, and just to be there mm. in person to um, to present. Um, I mean, obviously... five-hour flight to San Francisco. Sometimes a five-hour, yeah. yeah. I don't know how people do that. True. Chicago, I think, was about two and a half three yeah. but that's still you know it takes yeah. it out of you a little um but i think it's it's kind of like you said it's kind of worth it i mean the other thing i'd say is we had a project a couple of years ago where they were having a really tough time with the strategy because we couldn't they sort of had a very tight strategy but when we kind of kept coming out with creative angles we we just couldn't quite nail it you know and the only we were sort of stuck you know we couldn't sort of move forward and when we actually went to, um, you know, travel to the city and spoke to the client in person over a coffee, we kind of only then realised they'd sort of fallen in love with the strategy and what they actually wanted was something completely different. I don't think we would have arrived at that point had we not been there in person and just had a coffee and a natural, mm. honest chat. And that actually then changed the entire direction of the work and ended up making them a lot happier. So I don't know. I feel like th- there is so much more. There's a, there's a lot more benefit to, to, to presenting in person. I realise that's not always possible given that everyone's busy all the time and it's hard to fit that in but I, I definitely prefer always to to be more collaborative and to present in person I've got one more question I don't know I don't think it's racist but <laughs> but Americans um, I, I feel like Americans I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I feel like I would never like Americans would never really understand me being sort of having an English self-deprecating manner 
whereas in America it does feel like it's all about confidence and and raw. So Australia's a little bit more English. So do you have to switch into American mode to function? <laughs> How does it work? Uh, no, it's it's actually interesting you bring that up because anyone who goes and interviews in the states, everyone always in New York says, "Don't do the self-deprecating thing. Don't you know? Be confident. Be you know." So I think Americans. Um, I think they find that sort of English, Australian self-deprecating humour very endearing. But no, I think you do kind of switch into you have to be confident and uh, particularly when it comes to interviews and trying to get Mm. your foot in the door, you know, I don't know if it always translates that well when you, I mean, I feel like I'm normally quite a self-deprecating person and and definitely when I was interviewing in the States before I actually got the job at Droga, I really had to kind of not do that and really consciously think about making myself sound a lot more assertive and a lot more... um, a little bit bolder, I suppose, than mm. I normally would have. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's just a different kind of way of thinking about it, isn't it? It's, Is it the same when you're presenting work cl- to clients there? Well, I think regardless of where you are presenting work, you always want to seem excited and confident yeah. in your ideas. So, oh, yeah. I, so you know, I feel like I'm already, <clears throat> I would already want to give off that sort of idea mm. anyway. You're going back to New York soon. Yes. Uh, have you got a project that you're excited to go back for? So last uh, two years or two or three years ago, we did some work for um, the Ad Council, which was for teen suicide. Um, it was called Seize the Awkward. It was all about I kind of, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. kids to kind cool. of, you know, obviously it's hard to talk about mental health, but kind of seizing that awkward moment and just kind of making a joke about it and, and taking, um, you know, using that as a, a catalyst to talk about the things that are hard to talk about. And so that's kind of moving into its second iteration. So I'm sort of looking forward to jumping back on that and continuing some of the work because, uh, you know, it's just a great cause to work mm-hmm. on. And the last campaign was a TV spot, but it did quite well, I think, and apparently from research, make myself sound good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you I'm really excited. You need to talk yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. I know, Remember. it's the American way. No, and, and sort of go back into that and, uh, you know, that that's really exciting. And then and they've got a few other projects that are coming up, but I'm, I'm not yet sure what they are. So, Mira, what we do sometimes is ask a question about if there was a piece of advice that you'd give to someone who maybe had been in advertising as a creative for a, a few years as just sort of considering about what they should do next. Maybe they're not getting the opportunities that they were hoping for or their book look isn't looking as good as they want it to. Is there a piece of advice that, that you give the people that you work with about how they can perhaps improve the quality of their work? I think... Um when I reflect on all the ideas of, of ours that all the piece of work that we love the most, you know, I really, they weren't sort of a brief that just turned up or a necessarily an opportunity uh, we were given. We sort of had to go and seek them out. You know, the bagel emoji work was um, something we'd just seen online that people were getting angry about. And that's how we sort of made that happen. We then sold it into the client through, you know, in that way. Um, with the New York Times, that was a piece of work that uh, had actually died, you know, and we just harassed and harassed everyone at the agency or the people above us to to make it happen. And somehow along the way, it sort of ended up on David's desk and that definitely uh, helped things along. So I do like that idea that there is opportunity everywhere, but if you feel like you're not finding those opportunities, I say seek them out, you know, find dive into that client, find a little fact or an article, find something you can sort of latch on to come up with creative ideas off that, you know, or or kind of sniff out better briefs. You know, I feel like we've definitely not had the best briefs always um, turn up on our desk. So I, I definitely think you have to go find them yourself. 
I think that's a great bit of advice. So thank you for Hopefully that. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I found it helpful. Yeah. yeah. There, you, <laughs> there go. you go. Yeah, You'll be able to use yeah. that one tomorrow, Ben. Definitely. Um, <laughs> so, Mieta, the name of the game with this setup is, uh, it's called the Creative Relay. Yes. And the, and the reason is that you get invited on as a guest, but then you have to turn the table and invite someone on as your guest that you would like to speak with. So we don't want you to reveal who that person may be because you probably don't know, but you've probably got someone in mind. Could you give us a couple of hints as to who that might be? I have a couple of people in mind at the moment, mm-hmm. so I, I'm going to have I'm going to have a little think and yeah. I'll get back to you on that one. It's intriguing. <laughs> I got, apparently, I gave too much away last time. Hey, um, Ben, thank you so much for the chat we had and for today because it's just been awesome. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure being here. And thank you, Mieta, for accepting my uh, baton (laughs) and um, sprinting ahead and passing it on to the next person. Thank you very, very much for having me. I feel very honoured to be part of the show. That was very polite of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) You've been brought up well. (laughs) Thanks, Mieta. Thank you. Good on you, Thank you, Paul. Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com made by our good friends at Macadamia Digital where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us. See you next time. Thank you.